Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan, joined tonight by special guest and friend of the podcast, Toby Gavon of Bat Flip Crazy on Twitter and his own podcast, which is excellent. You should definitely give a listen to. Toby, how are you? I'm doing really well, Pat. Thanks a lot. You, you did a great job uh, with the name. My name sounds uh, not very much like it looks, so you did a great job, and I'm really excited to be on the podcast again. Thanks so much oh, for no having Oh, no problem, me. and uh, as you know, uh, you are one of uh, our friends in the industry, and you do excellent work. Uh, I personally believe that our podcasts are excellent companion pieces. If uh, anybody out there has not listened to Toby's pod, I highly recommend it. But uh, of course, you're joining us tonight to do a review, so if you're ready to roll, I'll kick it off with Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, okay. let's do it. So Goldschmidt, ADP, according to NFBC, 22.48. Now in St. Louis, Goldschmidt remains on top of the heap. In your opinion, should he? And do you view this as a value overall? Yeah, uh, to your first question, I, I do like Goldie, especially at the price that he's going now compared to in previous seasons. Um, and I'll admit up front that I am somewhat biased against uh, Paul Goldschmidt. He's just one of those players that for some reason, you know, I think I, I had a bold prediction that was anti-Goldschmidt a couple years ago that didn't pan out. And so I'm harboring some kind of terrible... Well, we're on opposite him. sides of the coin, but... I can tell you that much, because I am a renowned <laughs> oh. lover of all things Paul Goldschmidt. <laughs> all right, well, we can... A battle royale is about to commence. Um, no, I actually, I like Goldie here. Obviously, folks were concerned, I think, last year towards the beginning, but he, he definitely righted that ship. I would have Freddie Freeman higher in terms of first baseman. I just think he's so consistently plus in terms of batting average three consecutive years with a 300 batting average or better. And he's actually had more stolen bases than Goldie last year. And while, you know, that could just be recency bias, Goldie Goldie's stolen base totals have taken a tumble. Um, and so, and Freeman is a little bit younger than Goldie. So I think you're looking at similar stolen base totals. And then I just love the, the top of the Braves lineup, I think is going to be really solid. But getting to Goldie, I mean, I think, I think he, you know, you look at what he was able to produce last year. And again, it's very, very solid. Uh, you see a little bit of a slip in the, in the K percentage. Um, but, you know, even that, that slipping K percentage, it doesn't, doesn't show up in the contact scores. His contact is actually better than it was last year, both overall and in the zone. So there's not a ton of places of weakness, maybe chasing a few more pitches outside the zone. But everything across the board was really solid for Goldie. I just don't think folks should go into drafts thinking that they're getting a five-category contributor. I'd be happy with, you know, uh, the 290 that he hit, uh, getting that again this year. Um, and so, you know, he's all around solid player. I don't think he's going to hurt you at all. I like the move to the Cardinals lineup for him. Um, so yeah. What, what about you? Pat? Yeah. He's my number one at first base. And I, and I do think it's a value overall where he's going. Um, you know, he got off to such a bad start last year, but was able to rebound and for an extended period of time was one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, you know, plus average, he's a plus run producer, uh, good power and a player that can swipe bags. Um, at first base, which which I think is still there. Um, you know, the sprint score is not in a decline from where it's been. 
Um, you know, he's more of a heady base runner. Uh, so I think that can return. Um, you know, career high hard contact rate, solid batted ball contact authority profile that supports a plus Babbitt. Um, you know, and that's his career track record. Uh, while he's been around the block, he's only 31. So I, I don't think he's cooked just yet. Um, swing strike rate been up in recent season, but he replicated the 2017 level. And a lot of that was front loaded to coincide with the struggles early in the year. He was 11.7% through May and 9.5% thereafter. You know, you mentioned the O swing. Great point. That's a little more concerning to me, but I do not think it's at a level where it's going to be prohibitive to his value going forward. Um, you know, and, and I've heard the narrative, the Cardinals don't run much, um, but obviously with Matheny gone, uh, you know, the, the, the tide may turn now. And, you know, we saw Yadier Molina steal nine bases in 2017. So I, I don't think that they're going to hold back a player of Goldschmidt's caliber if he wants to run. Um, and I don't really see a reason why he can't return to a double-digit sort of level. Now, it might not be, you know, 18-19, but 12-13 is certainly possible and within the realm of possibility, in my opinion. Um, and let's not forget, the position was down last year, right? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. There are several really good bounce-back candidates, but Goldschmidt was an excellent producer at a position that was down last year. He's got a consistent track record of production, and upper end production. So I almost think that this might be going too far. Uh, I think it might be a little too far down the board. I mean, I prefer him a lot closer to the top of round two than sort of in the middle. So I I do view this as a value. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's so much nicer to get him where he's going now than I think making him your first hitter off the board. It would just be a wonderful thing if he would go back to stealing 30 bases, though, right? <laughs> that would kind of destroy any need for argument about uh, whether he's – how valuable yeah, I, he I is. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see 30 steals again. But, you know, if we saw 20 even, you would be thrilled with that. I mean, at first base. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, w- that would be incredible. I mean, I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put any eggs in that basket um, just because I think he is getting up in, in age, but – like you said, he's shown the ability to do it before. So stolen bases, it's, you know, they're kind of fluky year to year. So we'll see yep. what happens. Okay, let's move it to Freddie Freeman, 23.26 ADP right behind Goldschmidt. Uh, you mentioned that he's your number one first baseman. Coming off a season with 23 homers, uh, it seems strange to me that Freeman is nipping at Goldie's heels. Do you think more lucrative days are ahead or is he overpriced? Yeah, I actually I really like Freeman a ton this year. Um, I think the batting average, batting average, and stolen bases for me are kind of the what I'm looking for for the most part um, when I'm drafting early on. Um, be, just because you know those are the scarcest stats to get, and it's hard to get those stats later on without hurting yourself in other places. So I really want to be establishing a solid foundation and average and stolen bases. I think Freeman, the stolen bases, you know, he's not like a runner by any stretch of the imagination, but he did have, he does have 18 stolen bases in the last two years. Um, he's still in his prime. And so I wouldn't anticipate that that'll fall too far. And I really like from an OBP's perspective, the fact that he's going from um, 
likely Acuna and uh, and um, Ozzy Albies, and Ozzy Albies has a terrible OBP to Acuna and Donaldson, who has a tremendous OBP. So I really think the RBI opportunities are going to be there. And from a home run perspective, the 23 home runs was definitely disappointing um, last year. Um, but he also had close to 30 expected home runs. So I think there was a little bit of bad luck uh, thrown into the equation for Freeman. I think he's shown before that he has 30 home run potential. And while I'm not going to necessarily, um, well, I mean, in a, in a projection, I might have uh, Freeman right around 30 home runs. I think the stolen bases, which I actually do like more than Goldschmidt, just because I think they're kind of trending in different different directions. And generally speaking, older players don't start to steal out of nowhere. And then I think the batting average is also plus. I think he's going to have a ton of RBI. I think the home runs will be there. Um, And so for me, they're very, very close. And you can see that in the ADP. But I think they're going to have similar counting stats. I'd give Goldie the edge in in power. But then I'd give uh, Freeman the edge in average. And maybe a tie, lean, Freeman in stolen bases. And for that reason, I would go, I would go with Freeman, but again, they're very close. You know, something just came to me as you were speaking and I, I think it might actually have some legs. So last year, the Braves primary cleanup hitter, if my recollection serves me correctly, was Nick Markakis. And now they brought in uh, Josh Donaldson. Um, to presumably be the guy that's going to hit cleanup in on, on that team. Now, with Marcakis's limited power base, do you think it might have been a situation where Freeman was more willing to run because the guy behind him was kind of station to station in terms of how he would drive in runners as opposed to Donaldson, who will hit for you know 30 homer power if he's healthy? I mean, that, that definitely, I mean, that definitely could be, um, something obviously like of all the cleanup hitters in baseball, Nick Markakis is not at the top of your list for power. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the Braves do. I read a tweet earlier on a few weeks back and again, it's super early in the season. So a lot of this is just, you know, us speculating, but it mentioned that they wanted to have Freeman Acuna and Donaldson at the top of the lineup because they wanted to get the most at-bats to the best hitters, which, you know, uh, makes uh, a decent amount of sense. Roster resource has Ender Iniciarte um, as the leadoff hitter, followed by Donaldson, Freeman, and Acuna. And I think in that situation, I even love that as well, because I think Freeman's going to see pitches to hit. Uh, Run scoring won't be a problem uh, with Acuna batting behind him. So uh, it could be that the stolen bases dry up if – if there's a power bat behind them, I'm really interested to see what the Braves end up doing because um, right now the lineup is, you know, you've got Donaldson Freeman and Acuna and I'm not the biggest Aussie Albies fan. Um, You know, uh, there's definitely room for growth uh, for him as a batter outside of fantasy. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of, gaps I think that they're going to need to fill um, in that lineup right now if they want to compete in the revamped NL East but that's a really good point I mean it could be that those that those stolen bases dry up a little bit with a better better yeah I mean just on the Braves in general the lineup is still got a very very clear hole in it and there is a wonderful fit for them sitting out in Seattle if they can swing that deal in Mitch Hanniger Um, oh yeah that's 
that's like my dream because I just traded for Hanniger in a dynasty league. And I think part of the reason why he wasn't valued as highly is because he's in Seattle right now. So if he goes over to Atlanta and hits cleanup there, it'll yeah. be like yep. Christmas. Especially in that park. Uh, you know, my take on Freeman, you know, I, I do think that there is some increased production baked into his price right now. But, I mean, year over year, I was a little surprised. The ESPN player radar actually had Freeman in front of Goldschmidt last year based on results. Now, I'm not sure I entirely trust that algorithm, for what, but, you know, it, it, it's worth noting. I do think that there's a little yeah. bit of rub that comes from being on the team with Acuna and the, and the Braves generally being a hot and upcoming, hot and up and coming team. Um, you know, and plus there is a healthy respect for Freeman's track record of plus production, uh, as a high average hitter, uh, he's tapped into a greater level of power in recent seasons, obviously ticked that tick back down last year, but the book on Freeman used to be, he's going to be a low to mid twenties guy and he popped upper twenties and 30 home runs in recent seasons. So I, I think the baseline has sort of moved for him. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, he's added the speed in recent seasons. Now, whether it sticks around, who knows? But, you know, you, I feel like you can feel safe putting him somewhere between five and ten steals. Um, I feel comfortable there. I don't know that I would go any higher than that, um, especially considering that ten was his career high last year. Um, but like Goldschmidt, Freeman has a bad ball profile that plays well from an average perspective. 30% line drive rate, 40% plus hard contact rate. He strikes out less than Goldschmidt. So he's a pretty safe bet for close to, if not over a 300 batting average, which as you mentioned is really, really scarce at this point in time. So that's a, that's a major plus. And it, I think it's something that sort of goes overlooked because of the variance that is perceived in batting average. But when you have a guy with Freeman's track record, you don't really have to worry so much about that variance because at worst you're looking like what, maybe like 280 in, in the worst possible case. Yeah. I mean, you never know, but last three years, 309, 307, 302 before that 276, 288, but something kind of clicked for him in 2016. Um, that's kind of when he really broke out. And since then, um, you know, his, like, like you mentioned, his batted ball profile is, is really, really, um, is really, really nice. He keeps that K percentage low. And so when you have the combination of those two things, I think uh, it makes for, uh, it makes for that a relative confidence in that high average, right? It's like a projection system like steamer has them at 286, but um, you know, that would take a considerable drop, I think um, for him to get there, but you never know. You never know. Yeah. And the other thing that I noted when looking at these two players was that despite the lower K rate from Freeman, he's not significantly better than Goldschmidt at making contact. He's just more aggressive, swinging 13% mm-hmm. more, <coughs> excuse me, swinging 13% more overall and 6% more out of the zone. So, I mean, the difference in the K rate, I just think is Freeman is not, getting as deep into the count as Goldschmidt. Um, so that, that's just a little bit of a note there. Uh, overall, I do have Goldschmidt in front of Freeman, but I do like the price on Freeman, and I do think, given the state of first base, he is an asset worth seeking out at the cost that he's going at. I do expect the power to come up. Like you, I'm sort of buying the steals. I'm not 100% in, but I haven't personally projected for eight steals. Um, 
that's a non-zero, especially in today's landscape. You put that together with the run production mm-hmm. and the batting average, and you've got a really nice asset. Definitely. Okay, so third, we've got Anthony Rizzo, a 38.43 NFBC ADP. I've seen speculation that Rizzo's power may be drying up. Are you on board with that take? And this is a fourth-round price in 12-team uh, team leagues. Don't you think there's serious profit potential here? And has he entered the old and boring phase already? And that explains the ADP. Huh. Old and boring at 29. He's just been around so long. <laughs> and he's been so darn consistent. I mean, come on, man. Um, no, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's great profit potential for Rizzo here. I think he's exactly the same player that he's always been. Um, I do think maybe there's a little bit of slip in power, but I think a lot of that might be the result of uh, a back injury that he sustained early on in the year. Um, I believe it's his rolling average graph. I don't have it in front of me right now, but um, I think it was pretty clear in looking at that, that that he was struggling with some injuries just because of how um, uh, it just didn't look like a Anthony Rizzo uh, start to the season. But um, uh, before I make a fool of myself, I'll, tra- I'll, I'll look at what his splits were. But I believe in the second half, um, he, really, uh, he really took off and became the guy that we knew. And when you look at the skills, like the actual underlying skills for Rizzo, there was actually quite a – it was actually one of his better years. Um, he had the lowest strikeout rate he's had um, in three years at 12%. I mean, truly elite stuff. His contact rate was uh, in the zone was up at 91.5%. So elite right there. Uh, overall contact was great. He actually had a 306 expected batting average on that 283, which is his highest expected average over the last um, uh, three years. And I just have my spreadsheet with the last three years. That's why I'm mentioning the three years. So I do think there's something to be said for a little bit of the lack of power. Um, his hard hit fly ball rate dropped by 5% down to 31%, which is below league average. But at the same time, his hard hit pulled fly ball rate uh, increased by 15% to 47.4%, which is really great. I think what, what tells the biggest tale is the, the barrel drop from 6.5% the last two years to 4.8%. So I think you see some give in the power metrics. And I guess it's just a question of how much of that you think was related to the injury. I mean, I think if I remember correctly, I think he like injured his back. It's one of those, like I slept on a hotel bed wrong and you're like major league baseball teams. Why do you have people sleeping on not the best beds in the world? (laughs) You pay them millions and millions of dollars. But the last thing I'll say, uh, and I, and as your listeners can already tell, I I'm, I'm long winded, but, um, his runs per plate appearance was insanely low last year. So his runs per plate appearance last year was 11.1% after 14.3% and 13.9%. For context, he was about one standard deviation below the mean from league average uh, on runs per plate appearances. And he had nearly 1.5 standard deviations above the mean for on base. So his on-base percentage was still elite at 376. And I don't know if that's elite, but like still very, very good at uh, 376. But he scored runs like Billy, you know, not Billy Hamilton might not be a good example, but like a guy who doesn't get on base. And so I think that's something that's going to turn around this year. And if he gets back to where he was, he's right back at around, you know, triple digits for 
runs and he's already done it for RBIs for God, three, four consecutive seasons. So uh, I I love the profile um, a lot. I think where he's going is a really nice value. My struggle with um, his speed is not there. I didn't realize how slow um, he was, but um, yeah, he hit 329 in the second half. Yeah. Uh, with 13 home runs and 249 plate appearances. So even that makes me question whether the, the power is really gone. So I love, I love the value. Uh, I love where he's going right here. Uh, you're getting a one-round discount on Rizzo when he's the exact same player you bought last year in the second round. Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as, you, as you laid out, it was really a case where the injury occurred in the first half and then in the second half, everything really returned pretty much to normal hard contact rate, homer to fly ball rate, air balls, which is a fly, fly balls plus line drives versus ground balls all came back to normal. Um, and, you know, Rizzo doesn't have obviously the, he's not the fastest guy in the world, as you mentioned, but he does have a history where he's stolen some bags when guys have fallen asleep and shown a willingness to do that. Now, does that reemerge? Who knows? But, He's only 29, as you said. So it's not like he's 36. <laughs> there, there is the possibility that he can swipe, you know, close to 10 bags again. Um, you know, I do think he's entered the old and boring phase, even though he's only 29. I, I, but I see significant profit potential here. As you said, I mean, this is a guy that was, you know, borderline first round talent for the last few years, um, had a bad first half, and it's explainable. And now is going, you know, anywhere from a round and a half to two rounds later. Uh, and then if you look at it, I mean, I imagine if the Cubs do add Harper, um, there will be some helium that goes along with that. Hmm. Where, you know, Rizzo gets a little closer to 30 instead of 40. But, I mean, if you add Harper to that lineup and Bryant comes back healthy, is another guy who, who suffered from injury last year, was not himself and Rizzo is hitting either two or four in that lineup, it's going to be, he's going to be a really, really nice piece. Um, you know, I do understand the risk concerns. Back injuries are tricky and they tend to reoccur, but he was strong enough in the second half and, and enough like himself that I'm not as concerned about it. And, you know, you mentioned it last year, his expected average well over 300. And I've been saying for a while now, the last few years that I think Rizzo is going to find his way into a plus Babbitt season at some point and hit 300. Now it's not, you know, the likeliest outcome, but he's got the sort of profile where he can go 35 homers, 300, and then chip in some steals along with that excellent run production that you mentioned. And that's a really, really nice piece. And it's really not out of the realm of, it's really not that far out of the realm of possibility. I mean, his strikeout rate was what? 13% last year. Um, and he's not, he's not Edwin Encarnacion with his Babips either. I mean, he's not going to be, or, or he doesn't deserve to be like a 250, 260 type Babip guy. So I, I think that he's got some real upside um, even beyond what we've seen so far. I think the, I think last year we might have seen the floor, and I think that we're still falling a bit short of where the ceiling might be for Anthony Rizzo. Hmm. Okay, let's yeah. move it to the fourth guy, Cody Bellinger, 49.13 NFBC ADP. 
He's got outfield eligibility. Bellinger regressed further than folks expected, but still had a productive year by most counts. Do you think he's more 2017, 2018, or the cop-out answer somewhere in between? Ha. Uh, is that like when you get a waffle? <laughs> if I choose in, be, in, be, in between? Um, yeah, my, my answer is I think he's more like the 2018 Bellinger. Oh, interesting. I, um, I totally expected I, you to take the cop-out because I'm going to take the cop-out. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, um, I don't know. I struggle with taking Bellinger here. I was off of Bellinger last year just because I thought the price was so high. Um, I'm warming up a little bit to it just because the speed really entices me. Um, he's super fast. I didn't realize exactly how fast. Yeah. He's not faking it out there in center field. No, like he's, uh, his sprint score was, um, 28.9. So almost like 29 feet per second last year. He stole at a 93.3% clip. Um, and so that really entices me. Like the 14 stolen bases, I actually think that he can get more um, if, he, if he gets the green light. Um, I think the power is much more 2017. I don't see anything really remarkable. I think he started out really, really hot. And then folks last year um, in 2017, and then folks kind of got a little bit of the book on him. We saw, we've seen for two consecutive playoffs – that, you know, he was exposed in the playoffs, um, you know, by really good pitching staffs. So, you know, his hard hit fly ball rate um, dropped. It was 42.1%, so slightly better than league average. His hard hit pulled fly ball rate was 36.2%, so slightly above league average. Barrel rate, 5.5%, slightly better than league average. Um, So, you know, a lot of the metrics, I think – are telling me that he isn't he isn't that guy who's going to hit 35 40 home runs. I think he's much more uh, the 25 home run guy and he had 25.6 um expected home runs. Obviously he's young, he could grow into more power. He could focus on that. Um but the one area where I do have a little bit more concern, I'm not sure if it's as justified, but um you know, towards the end of last year his contact rate um increase which was really nice to see he had an overall year-to-year increase but at the same time that that happened um you know his hard hit rate was up too but he also started chasing pitches outside the zone and hitting a ton more uh ground balls um and so i just see a guy who's not who hasn't yet found his swing who's still kind of working through it and so i worry about what the floor for his batting average uh might be you know, I think the 250, what was it? He hit 260 this year. I think that's about maybe what to expect. But I could definitely see him dropping down um, a little bit just because of some of the limitations of, um, you know, him as, as, a, as a hitter and just really going through these huge periods of, of, of upheaval in his swing. And, um, yeah, so and, – and I think it's also who's going around this spot too – I mean, Bellinger is at 49. You have guys like Anthony Rendon, George Springer, Xander Bogarts, other folks in the mix who, um, you know, are are either five category contributors or, you know, going to contribute in uh, four very solidly. And so, 
you know, that's why I struggle with Bellinger here, but I think he's more the 2018 guy than he is the 2017 guy. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, I think he's in between. Um, and, and I do view him more as former bat than the 25 last year, but I also think that 38 is towards the higher end of his outcomes. Um, I'm not sure that the rookie year is ultimately his career year, though. I still think there's some steps forward to come in the batting average and play discipline side. And as you mentioned, he made some gains there last year, swinging strike rate down, contact percentage up. So even if he doesn't exceed the power total from 2017 in what would be a career year, I think that there's a, a better season out there where maybe he hits for a higher average. Um, and, you know, I, I would spin it the other way. Um, you know, this is still a very young player. Um, you know, he's had success. He may not have figured it out yet. And it's just the fact that we've seen a lot of him and we've seen a lot of him on a big stage and we've seen him really struggle on a big stage that maybe leads us to believe that there might be more issues there than there really are. And lead us to believe that this is a fully finished product, which I don't think we know that yet. Um, when it comes to 2019, I think the price is fair. You know, as you mentioned, this is a guy that's got pretty significant speed among the guys we've talked about tonight, Goldschmidt, uh, Freeman, Rizzo. There's a reason why he had the most steals last year. And, and I agree with you. I think there's upside for more. I would not be surprised if he crosses the 20 steal threshold at some point. Um, and possibly as soon as this year. Um, but same breath, listen, he's not going to hit for the average those guys are. And I also think that he might have a bit more of a volume issue than those guys, um, solely because the Dodgers are like to, like to utilize their depth. They like to give guys days off. Um, so he might fall short in the run plus RBI production compared to – the uh, trifecta at the top. And, you know, the outfield eligibility is nothing to gloss over either. And this is, you know, outfield is, is possibly the deepest position. Um, so you're probably going to end up playing Bellinger at first. But that utility is always useful because you never know where you're going to find assets. Um, and first base is where some guys tend to come out of nowhere. So uh, it is useful to have that. And it's a nice little bonus. Yeah, definitely. And and on that, I think I mentioned this a lot on my podcast, but I think dual and multi-position eligibility is a really nice bonus. I mean, don't go out and get somebody just because they have that, but it's a nice bonus, especially because you see the utilization of the 10-day DL so frequently. Um, our lineups, you mentioned like how the Dodgers like to use their depth. You know, even a guy like Max Muncy, who hits 35 home runs, towards the end of the season, if the Dodgers were facing two or three lefties, you know, in a given week, you may not put him in. And so being able to shuffle guys around um, and mix and match, I think is going to become increasingly important in the fantasy game. I think it already is, but I think it will become increasingly so as fantasy baseball begins to mirror regular baseball. Yeah. I always look at eligibility sort of has, as a tiebreaker, um, sort of a, a method to, if I like two players at a very similar level, I'll take the guy with the additional eligibility if it's available to me. Okay. Let's move it to Matt Carpenter and FBC ADP 75.65. Um, he's got second base eligibility in 10 games played leagues and third base eligibility in all formats. Carpenter dragged himself back from the brink early in the year to all the way back to MVP contention. 
Do you think the market is exercising due skepticism with this ADP, or should we be giving Carpenter more credit? Um, you know, I think uh, for Carpenter, I mean, Carpenter's a really good example of, uh, I don't know if it's recency bias necessarily, but just like kind of how the market, yeah, I guess it's, some, it's recency bias, but like how the market shifts so quickly on players. Like la- like two years ago, Carpenter was going pretty high. Um, he was coming off a pretty good season. A lot of the underlying metrics look really good. And then he got injured and, and had kind of a down season. <clears throat> and so going heading into last year, his ADP was like in the 170s, I think, the 180s. You know, now he puts together a career year, you know, and he's pushed way up again. I think in batting average leagues, he takes a major hit. Um, he's not going to be a value uh, in batting average leagues. And in OBP leagues, he definitely gets a little bit of a bonus. But also batting first in the lineup also hurts him a little bit uh, only because, you know, the production, um, he got 81 RBI last year, but again, he hit 36 home runs. So a good chunk of that comes from a career high in home runs. He He also had um, stretches. You know, so he's going to where he was hitting third. Um, Oh, did he? He did. Did he? Okay. Uh, I think at the beginning of the year, I feel like he batted there. He really struggled. Um, but then they kind of d- dropped him off. But he, either way, I think heading into this year, he's he's scheduled to, to bat leadoff. And so I think that just limits the RBI. So I think you're looking at a guy who's not necessarily going to contribute much in average. He's going to contribute a significant amount in runs as long as he stays healthy with the OBP that he does, hitting where he does. I think he'll hit a decent amount of home runs. But again, I'm not going to buy the career high of a 33-year-old, right, who's who's – sort of uh injury prone or at least injury prone enough where the injury is actually impacting his production um and so if you think about it that way like he's he's not going to give you any stolen bases he's not going to give you batting average he's um going to give you runs he's going to give you a decent amount of home runs but nothing special and then he's you know maybe going to give you like 70 or so rbi so it's not like he's a total drain but i just don't see the type of profile that I'm looking for, um, you know, at this point um, in the draft, I think there's guys going later um, who can give you something uh, pretty similar uh, to what he's giving. So I don't like him in this spot. I think he had a really great season last year. And I think this is a situation where um, you have to be selling high because he is 33 um, he has dealt uh, with injuries over the years. So that's kind of where I am on Carpenter. It's just not a profile that I like that much going this early in the draft. How if, about you, Pat? If he, you let at? me just ask you this. If he's got the third position, does that intrigue you? I mean, I, it obviously would intrigue you more. But is it is it something that would make you buy at this price or it doesn't matter? You're just – not interested. Oh, if he was if he was batting third, I definitely think that. Oh that no, bumps no 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 no! I meant, I meant if bit. he's got second base. Oh, if he's got second base eligibility, um, you know, I'd have to dig. Let's see who we got second baseman. Let me just yeah, really sure. quickly. I'll check. I'll check out the ADP um, for second base. Okay, yeah. While you so if he okay, has, it, I've got it right in front of me. So um, no, because like I'd go for a guy like maybe Travis Shaw at 106 a guy who's probably going to have a better average than um 
than Carpenter. I would bank on Shaw probably having more home runs. He's a younger guy. He's got a really nice profile, really nice OBP. I think he'll score a decent amount of runs. I think he'll, he'll have a decent amount of RBI. I think they'll, they'll end with similar total counting stats. And then he'll give you a couple stolen bases and you're getting him later on. A guy like Robbie Cano is going at 132, who's going to have a betting, better batting average, you know, less home runs, but I think the counting stats will be fairly similar. Um, so even Daniel Murphy going at like 162.8, Daniel Murphy's profile is a profile, especially in cores that I would, would, I'd rather, I'd probably rather have Murphy straight up. Like I haven't done the analysis, but I'd probably rather have Murphy who's going at 162 yeah, that, right that, now Murphy more ADP than Carpenter. Is useless at this point. I mean, there's too much, too much free agency baked in there, too much uncertainty from free agency and not enough. He's playing in cores now. Like that's a, that's one of those ADPs that's just completely useless in my view at this point. Totally. But, but let's say they end up having similar ADPs. Who do you like more, Matt Carpenter or Daniel mm. Murphy? I think I like Murphy a little bit better. I'm with you on that, but I am especially high on Daniel Murphy in course. I, I will admit that I'm going to probably bite the bullet on that one and yeah. uh, push him higher than industry consensus um yeah and what what do you think of of carpenter you haven't even had a chance to to yeah i mean this is a difficult one for me because i've been mr matt carpenter for a number of years um you know i I hearkened back to the first half of 2016 when he was putting together a miguel cabrera-esque half of the season and then injury struck him um you know last year um after a dreadful start, he was that player again on his way to a career year. Uh, skill-wise, there's a lot to like a 49% hard contact rate with the fly ball heavy profile, but that was also supplemented by an ample line drive rate. So um, he's able to somewhat compensate for his batted ball shortcomings with the fly ball approach with the fact that he hits so many line drives. Um, you combine that with strong plate discipline, 21% O swing, just an 8% swinging strike rate. Um, you know, the skills back up the surge in production to an extent. I do agree with you though. I do not see him returning to the land of 36 homers again. Um, I've always viewed him as a guy that should hit for upper twenties to thirties, at least in his recent incarnation, obviously earlier in his year or earlier in his career, he was a completely different player, but since he's made the swing change, I've always viewed him as sort of a power underachiever, um, but I think last year represents a ceiling. And like you said, 33 years old, dealt with significant injury, injury histories in, in the past. He struggled through injuries. He's the type of guy that tries to play through them, um, but it really does affect him. So I'm not counting on 36 again. I think 27, 28 is probably where I end up. And you make an excellent point. You know, the batting average is not going to be much better than 270. Um, you know, it, it 270, 275 maybe. Um, he would really struggle to get above that given the amount of fly balls that he hits and the fact that he doesn't have any real speed to, you know, leg out an infield hit here or there. Um, and he's prone to the shift. So, you know, it's a 270 hitter with 27 homers, no steals, a lot of runs, um, you know, maybe 180 runs plus RBIs, um, is, is probably where he tops out if, especially if he's going to hit leadoff. Although I find that kind of odd. I don't really think they have another left-handed hitter. So it seems strange to me that they would hit him lead off. Um, 
But, you know, I mean, he's an OBP machine. Maybe they've decided they just don't care about lefty-righty. Yeah. It's completely possible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he got he got most of his um, at-bats at the leadoff spot, spot last year, um, uh, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, the one thing on the batting average is, as you mentioned, like since he's gone to the higher fly ball approach, um, you know, you're looking at 240s, 250s. Steamer has him projected at 251. Um, for next year. So I think 270 is maybe even shooting a little high um, on, on the batting average. Um, but no, and you're, you're definitely right. I mean, last year he did hit a majority of his games at lead off. It's just, I'm, I'm just thinking about line of construction in my mind and, you know, it, it just it seems weird to me to stack the righties like that, at least from a historical baseball context, but you're right. I mean, that's what they did last year. They didn't really have another, left-handed hitter and they just didn't care they hit carpenter lead off for most of the year so maybe it's not an issue yeah maybe it's just the managers they have in yep. st louis yep well i mean honestly you really shouldn't care about that right <laughs> i mean if especially if it's one left-handed hitter it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah you do you don't you don't have the option well it's just funny because i think the justification that they've given to um for batting carpenter lead off is that he doesn't that his batting average is not as good like when he bats second or third, like he doesn't do as well when he bats there. And, you know, like, you know, he hit like 175 batting third in 74 plate appearances. It's like, so you're going to give us a 74 plate appearance sample to tell us that that's the case. <laughs> no, I'm not like opposed. I'm not opposed to Carpenter being in leadoff because the OBP is, is so high and that that's, that's the valuable trait for the guy batting leadoff. But yeah. Anyways. Yep. Okay. So we're going to look at the next two together. Uh, Jesus Aguilar, uh, 79.91 NFBC ADP or Joey Gallo going literally one pick after 80.91 NFBC ADP. So straight up, would you rather have the breakout or the OBP King off a bad season? Uh, I'm going OB, OBP King. I'm going Joey. Yeah, as well. Um, yeah. Uh, well, why don't you? I've I've, I've let off quite a, quite a few times. Let me know what 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 is your reason for going, Votto? Yeah, I mean, I, I ended up taking him about thirty picks higher than this during the two early mocks. Um, you know, he still me displayed too. elite <laughs> plate discipline. He plays in the best power park in the majors and has a favorable and even improving team context given the addition of Yasiel Puig. Uh, 41% hard contact rate, elite batted ball approach with enough room for both power and average. I, I think it was just a simply a down year power wise due to either hidden injury or, or a mechanical rut. Um, the homer to fly ball rate was half his career average. I don't expect that to maintain given the level of authority that he hits the ball with. Um, I would normally be concerned with the drop in fly balls, but that all went into line drive. So it's not like he was hitting the ball in the air less. Uh, it's just at less than ideal power angles which I think simple enough for a hitter of Votto's prowess to, to correct, especially with the full offseason. Um, you know, that's not to say I view Aguilar as a slouch either. Um, I identified him as a deep sleeper last year prior to the season. Uh, he made me look pretty good there. He's got the strong authority profile, 44% hard contact, a fly ball-oriented approach in an excellent power park, in an excellent lineup. There's a lot to like there. Um, my big concern for Aguilar is – there's definitely a path to a zero season. Um, we saw it a few years ago with the Brewers and Jonathan VR off that monster season. 
Uh, Eric Thames is still on the team. Ryan Braun is there. Um, they could easily shuffle Aguilar out of the lineup with the slow start. Um, and he does have enough contact issues that a slow start um, is possible and could push him out. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Uh, but, I mean, otherwise, I think Aguilar is like a 265, 270 bat with 30 homer power in the middle of one of the best lineups in baseball. Yeah, I, I I agree with you on on all of those pieces. I, I sent out a tweet this morning. I was doing, uh, or I guess last night, I was doing some research for the podcast. And the one thing that jumped out with me about Votto is just how bad his um, his rate, uh, not rate stats, but his counting stats were. Like if you look at um, if you look at them from a per plate appearance perspective, so similar to what we talked about with Rizzo. And I think this is where you can identify some value um, in the future, but um, you know, his run percentage. So runs per plate appearance last year, Vados was 10.8%. So more than one standard deviation below the mean, despite having being two and a half standard deviations above the mean. Uh, he had a 417 OBP, but only scored on 10.8% of his plate appearances. And that's, it's not like he had a slouch. Yeah, I was about to say, that's right? especially yeah, you, remarkable given yeah. the lineup that was put together, especially the guys totally. right behind him. I mean, Suarez had yeah. a monster year, and Jeanette had another very good season. So, yeah, that's it. That is very surprising. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, I, I don't know what it could have been. It could have been a variety of different things, but it's probably just bad sequencing, right? Like he was getting on and people just weren't <laughs> driving him, whatever it was. But the the two previous years, he had 15% and and 14.9% in terms of run per plate appearance. And then similarly with his RBI, he was also at 10.8% RBI per plate appearance after two consecutive years of 14%. Now that might make a little bit more sense because the power dropped off, the batting drop, batting average dropped off a little bit there too. And so, okay, like I can handle that, but I don't see a, a season where he's healthy and he puts up similar really low counting stat totals. And I think, you know, the batting average I think is going to be fine. There was no uh, major decrease in uh, contact rate. You know, he was down 1%, um, but that's it. His K percentage jumped a lot higher, 16. Uh, it was up like four, uh, four and a half percent, even though the, the, the actual contact wasn't changing uh, that markedly. So I see a little bit of bad luck happening there. So I just think we saw kind of one of the worst seasons that Votto could put together happen last year. And as a result, his price is dropping considerably. Now, obviously, I think he's 35 years old. So he's an older guy. But he's also been such an elite hitter, and what's made him valuable is those things you mentioned, the plate discipline, right, the contact, uh, the batted ball quality that he produces that has given him, you know, I think before this year, four consecutive 300 batting average seasons, and I don't see any slip there. And he also had a hard hit rate that was higher this year by 5% uh, than last year. It was just – and his ground ball rate was also lower. So he, like you said – you know, it's not that he wasn't hitting, uh, he was hitting too many ground balls. He was just hitting them at uh, too low of launch angles to um, go for home runs. And towards the end of the year, he talked a little bit about how he had identified some of the things that he was doing. Um, and he went on a little bit of a power surge towards, towards the end of the year. He spoke in this offseason about how he wasn't in the shape that he needed to be in. 
last year and that that was going to be a priority. So hopefully he's committing to his health uh, this offseason and we see a Joey Votto-like uh, season because, you know, I would, I would love to get some value from how late he's going in drafts. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I am – I'm hoping that he goes this late. I mean, especially like we said, I mean, we were obviously um, not afraid at the tail end of last year. So now even being further removed from it, having a chance to dig further into the data and still not being afraid of it. um, This is one of those ADPs that I really hope holds, um, you know, as, as we go further into the off season. And, And I think it might for the reason that you outlined, I mean, because he is an older player. So, I mean, people are more willing to embrace the idea that, um, you know, this is the end, uh, so to speak. And I, and I mean, even with Votto in terms of the power regressing to such an extent, there is a lot of room for him to give some batting average and regain some power, even if it is like a bat speed type issue. Um, you know, he could very easily, uh, you know, give a couple of points on that K rate, still hit 290 and return to the land of 25 homers and be very, very valuable as, as a run producer with that sort of line in that lineup, provided that the sequencing doesn't go as bad as it did last year, which again, the lineup got better. So, I mean, I can't imagine it's going to, it's going to happen again. It's a and it's a sneaky good lineup. I mean, you may not think about it, but that lineup is pretty deep now with the moves they've done and the fact that like, you know, Jesse Winker, you know, everybody's kind of favorite sleeper pick this year. I mean, you know, they've got a new manager. I wouldn't be surprised to see Winker batting leadoff or um, probably leadoff. I mean, he's an OB. He's an absolute OBP monster. You got a couple options like Gannett or um uh, Peraza or even Vado batting number two with Puig and Gannett and Suarez behind him. I mean, there's just a really solid core to that lineup. Um, that is, I think going to be, that's going to surprise some folks. And so I'm definitely expecting that lineup overall to get a boost and hopefully, uh, that'll, that'll get our boy, uh, Joey. And then the last thing I'll say is like, I think that, for home runs, like the ball was dejuice last year. Like we, we saw a, a pretty big drop in home runs overall year to year and they just weren't going as far. And so I think like uh, baseball HQ did a study um, in their most recent forecaster that I'd highly recommend everybody get uh, the, the baseball uh, HQ forecaster, but essentially like it looked at um, the, how home runs are spread out and essentially like more people are hitting more home runs, but the, the, um, uh, but you don't have as many like outliers, you know, there's like more people hitting, you know, 20 to 25 home runs and less people who are just way out there in terms of the power that yeah. they produce. And so, you know, Votto doesn't have to turn return to 30 home runs, you know, if he hits 20 to 25 home runs, I think that that's perfectly fine in, in the type of profile that he's providing. Uh, and where you're drafting him. Yeah, and do you have any thoughts on Aguilar, even though you're taking Votto over him? Oh, man. I just did a uh, – over on my podcast, I just did a 15-minute profile on Aguilar. So um, all I'll say is I agree with what you said. I think that I, – I have him pegged a little bit lower for batting average. I think we saw the best that we're going to see in his career in the first half. And I think as pitchers adjusted, his second half um, just overall was not – 
that uh, was not that special. The contact rate dipped considerably. Um, and, and so I think he's more like a 250, maybe 260 guy max. Uh, I think the power is legit, like you said. I think the RBI are legit. But he also had like some insane um, rates where I'll just get the numbers in front of me really quickly. Um, I think it was like his, his RBIs per plate appearance was like 19.2%, which is up there with J.D. Martinez uh, in terms of RBIs per plate appearance. So I think those are definitely coming down. And then his runs per plate appearance was at 14.1%. Um, so better than league average, which isn't super surprising, except that he's like super slow. And the back end of the Brewers lineup isn't that good. So I don't even know if he would be able to return that. So I see him as a guy who's going to really provide a lot of value in home runs and RBI, but I don't see him providing a ton of value in any other And since you're worried a little bit about the contact in the second half, are you at all worried about the playing time volume becoming an issue? Um, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I am. Um, I think the way that you articulated it was, was great. I think the Brewers are a smart organization. Um, I think they saw what Aguilar can do and they're going to stick with him, but they've got a lot of different ways that they can shift folks around. I mean, remember like Eric Thames came out of kind of nowhere, not like uh, total obscurity, but you know, he had a tremendous year uh, in 2017 now it's Aguilar. It could be somebody else. And I don't think he has the same type of um, security necessarily um, as, as other folks. So yeah, he hit 245, um, you know, in the second half last year. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's move it to Jose Abreu, 86.49 NFBC ADP, uh, the eighth first baseman off the board. Another formerly safe bet coming off a down year. Is there anything you have, anything you see or have seen that makes you think Abreu will not return to form? And if he does, this is easy profit with power average run production, right? Yeah, I think there was, I think it was a combination of injuries and and some bad luck for Abreu last year. His expected average was 293 last year so again another solid year in terms of average his batted ball profile there was no real glaring uh, problems there um for power like as i dove into abreu the one thing is is that he's really an accumulator you know yep. he's put together close to 700 plate appearances um in two of the last three years and he does his rate stats just uh, or i keep on saying rate stats but his his run, his per plate appearance stats are not that, um, they're just not that strong. And so he needs a lot of plate appearances and that includes his power. You know, his power is only around, uh, league average. You know, he had the year, uh, last year when, when the ball was, um, when the ball was juiced, uh, where he hit, uh, 33 home runs on 31.5 expected home runs. But outside of that, this year with 22, uh, in 2016 with 25, he was right around league average in terms of his home runs per plate appearance. So he's not going to be again, like 25 is fine with the batting average that he's providing, but he's not like a, a big power hitter. And then I also really worry about the lineup for the white Sox. Like normally I'm not, well, I mean, I'm concerned about it, but like I looked at the white Sox on roster resource and it's like, you know, Yon Moncada, who I actually like this year, leadoff Yolmer Sanchez batting second Abreu batting third and Yonder Alonso batting fourth I mean like 
that's a pretty bad lineup. Um, and so I just worry about, um, I just worry about his production in runs and RBI with the lineup uh, that's there. Um, and he's not providing you with any speed. So I do think that he's, I don't think he's a bad pick here because I think the average is a real boost, but I do think he's more of an accumulator than a particularly skilled uh, player, if you will. How about you? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I view his power more along the upper twenties to, to low thirties line. And, but, but I, I do agree with you that he is a bit of an accumulator and, you know, he's, he's not fleet of foot on the base paths. So, I mean, the run, the runs specifically have been an issue in the past. You know, I believe in one of his 30 homer seasons, he only scored 65 runs or something along those lines. Um, you know, and, and with what he's got behind him, that's certainly a problem. Now, if they end up winning the Machado or Harper Sweet Stakes, and everybody goes down a rung, and you add that kind of talent to that lineup, it's certainly less concerning. Now, we don't know whether or not that will happen. Uh, but, you know, I fully expect him to return to like a 290, three, uh, 30 homer, 90 RBI type player. And, and that's mostly because of the volume. Um, and, and, you know, Moncada, Moncada can get on base at a pretty decent clip. He can take a walk. Um, and... and you know, with that sort of batting average, you're putting the ball in play a lot. Uh, that creates some, um, you know, you don't need the 35, 40 homers to drive guys in. Um, you know, while Brady falls short of the markers of being an elite power source and doesn't exhibit the patience of some of his peers, uh, he's pretty solid across the board in the relevant stack has data. Fly ball, line drive velocity, barrels, 95 mile per hour hit percentage. Um so I, I I don't think that there's any way he's like a top twenty five type hitter, but I can t- easily see him inside the top fifty or sixty, um, given the combination of skills that he does have, which are you know the high average, um, you know above average power in my view, that sort of thirty homer level power, and the ability to, to drive in a bunch of runs. Um, you know it, it it's not not, not going to be sexy you know it's not gonna he doesn't give you those (laughs) eight to ten steals that just seem to you know delight us in ways that they probably shouldn't but um (laughs) there is nothing (laughs) as great as eight to to ten steals steals. onto a guy's profile when you don't expect it i mean (laughs) (laughs) uh we're sick um (laughs) yeah right you know you've got a problem when you dream about eight to ten extra stolen bases <laughs> tacked on your power hitter yep. profile. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's not it's not the sexiest pick in the world, but I do think it's going to be one that turns a profit at this price. Um, all right, Max Muncy, ninety-seven point three nine NFBC ADP. Uh, he will have second base eligibility in leagues uh, that give the eligibility for ten games started, and he'll also have third base. Now, Muncie is a breakout, uh, who I know we both had a good deal of admiration for. How sustainable is it in 2018, and do you see any red flags? Yeah, I mean, it pains me to say because I love Muncie. I mean, Muncie was huge for me in a number of different leagues um, last year. Uh, but I think the major red flags for me for contact skills, uh, contact skills are, are number one. 
Um, he just, they plummeted in the second half of the year. He made a little bit of ground up towards the end, but his in zone contact got all the way down to like 75% uh, over his rolling 40 game average there for a little while, which is, uh, you know, 10% below league average and just really, really bad. I mean, that's 30 plus percent uh, strikeout. I'm also concerned about the fact that the Dodgers were so interested in platooning him um, at, towards the end of the year. Uh, even though his um, you know, his platoon splits, there's, there, there's not a big sample size, but he did fine against lefties. I mean, the batting average, I think, was down a little bit, uh, but the power was fine. Um, but, you know, I don't like the fact that they've shown a propensity to do that, and so I'm not sure he's going to get as many plate appearances. The batted ball quality was just incredible last year, and, I mean, he shows a lot of really good signs. The low uh, o, The low O swing or chase rate, on pitches outside the zone, the hard hit rate, the really low ground ball rate, um, all of those things are really, really nice. And so I actually think that um, he showed it over a pretty extended period of time that he could um, that he could hit for power. Uh, but I just worry about um, the playing time. I worry about the batting average, uh, given the contact issues. And so um, he's somebody who I'm probably just going to stay away from here. Um, only because, you know, again, like batting average and stolen bases, he's not providing me with much. And even even the home runs, I mean, it'd be hard to project him for 30, uh, you know, but I don't know. What, how do you how are you feeling about our buddy? Well, this Max? is this is a similar case to Aguilar, in my opinion, because you have a guy that was sort of a quad a bench piece. Um and you wonder how much lease he's going to get. And, you know, you, you outlined the, the contact issues and those are very real. Um, so you just wonder if that resurfaces early in the year, are the Dodgers going to continue to stick with him for, for a longer period of time? Now, if he does end up with, you know, a, a lion's share of the playing time, I, I do think that, you know, the power is very much for real, maybe not to last year's level. I, I, I don't think that, but I mean, I think he could be a 30 homer bat certainly. Um, and the bat at ball profile and uh, expected Babbitt on Babbitt on X stats, both point to a better batting average. So uh, in, in terms of balls on play. So that's another area where some of the regression on the power side may be able to be made up. So, you know, you mix that in with, with the extra eligibility, especially if he has second. Um, I'm, I'm okay with this price because this is an area in the draft where I, I think you, 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 you're okay taking a swing and a miss. And if I've got Muncie and especially if he's got the three positions and he's, he is a 30 homer bat, that's not going to kill me in batting average in the middle of a good lineup. It's a it's a it's a very nice player. I I'm not as risk averse as some, so um, you know it, it's all about your risk tolerance because he does have that zero floor. But you know it's just it's a case of it's a case to me where he's got enough of what I like to see in a player that I'm willing to take the take the good with the bad in terms of what I think he is um, while acknowledging that the floor is, you know, 
completely rock bottom, useless, have to drop him. Yeah, and I think that's one of the differences. I oftentimes look at things in the in the lens of like a 15-team league. Um, you know, I think in 12-team leagues, you can definitely take more uh, gambles on ceiling. Um, I think in a 15-team league, I mean, you're looking at the seventh player that you're getting, you know, so your, your fourth, fifth, probably your fifth hitter. Um, and so it's a little bit probably too much risk for me in that type of a situation. But I could see in 12-teamers where you might be more inclined to um, you know, take the risk of, of him producing what he did last year and kind of reaching that ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you that I think league context does have something to do with it. If you're, if he's your seventh player off the board. Yeah. But, I, but and if you're in OBP, but it's all relative, relative, right? I mean, like he's still going around the same class of players. So I don't know. I don't know if I buy that necessarily because I do feel as though, the risk really starts to emerge more so in this draft around 85 overall um, with this particular pool of players. Um, You know, maybe that's just my impression of the player pool and I need to go back and check my rankings, but just from the mock drafts that I've done, I kind of feel like that's sort of where I start to, get a little uneasy about what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just think, you know, in the deeper leagues, the replacement pool is, um, is much smaller and, and teams need to be deeper. And so, or it's not as high. And so in 12 team leagues, like you miss out on a Muncie and you could still pick up like a Steven Piscotti on the waiver wire, right? Like not this year, but like last year, for instance, whereas in a 15 team league, you know, chances are that he's already been, drafted and is on somebody's bench so that's what i mean more in like yeah, the sense but, that but, you know there's there's less of a less margin for error but to your point though i mean i i think <clears throat> both of us were able to get muncie in 15 team leagues last year yeah yeah i think but i only think there's like one muncie a no year. but there's not we just talked about jesus aguilar <laughs> all right there's two <laughs> But I mean, like, there's, there's only, there's going to be guys that come out of nowhere. Yeah, sure. I, but I, but I, but again, I, I think that might go also to another point, which is how comfortable are you with your ability to identify that player early on? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yes, I think so. But I also think, like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't think Muncie's. I, I, yeah. So where would you yeah, feel comfortable taking Muncie? Yeah, so it's ninety-seven right now. Oh man, Pat, I've got to go look at the ADP. <laughs> I have not done my rankings yet, so everybody listening to this pod, I'm. Uh, you can ballpark it. If for I, us. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, so let's say like first baseman. I'll just look at first baseman. Wow, that would be that would be much easier to do. Yes. Like. For Max Muncie, I'd much rather have Matt Olson than Max Muncie. Okay, I don't disagree with uh, that. But I, I would am rather have high on Matt Olson. <laughs> yeah, I would rather have. Uh, I have not done a deep dive on him yet, but on an initial dive, I would probably rather have Jerks and Profar um, as well. Um, but don't hold no, me to that. Uh, I'm uh, on board with that. <laughs> uh, Edwin Encarnacion, I would rather have. Uh, than Muncie okay. at 117. 
Um, All right. So God, like, first base, first base is going to be weak again. So like one twenty ish is probably where you're looking. Okay, so it's like another two rounds. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so probably something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's move it to Joey Gallo, and I can take this one first. One oh two NFBC ADP. Uh, also has outfield eligibility. Um, you know, he's definitely a polarizing player. But, you know, I, I, I always look at Gallo and, I, and I, the, the real question that comes to people's minds is, how can you build a winning team with a player like this? This sort of extreme player that does, you know, has one skill that's, that's ex- extremely productive, high end, but then on the other end of the spectrum is a complete drain. And, of course, with Gallo, you're talking of power on the high end and batting average on the low end. So, I mean, in categories leagues, I tend to try to stay away from extreme players like Gallo or at the other end of the spectrum, Billy Hamilton in recent years. Um, That's just preference more than anything. I do think you can build a winner with Gallo. Um, I don't necessarily feel that way about Billy Hamilton. But but I don't think it necessarily has to be a punt situation with Gallo. Um, You know, depending on your format, he's like a seventh or eighth round pick. And at that point, you have a pretty good idea of what the base of your team looks like. Uh, but a perfectly reasonable scenario would be Bookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rendon, Gene Segura. And I think that team can absorb Gallo's batting average. Now, you're not going to win the batting average category probably, but I think you can be competitive without, you know, sinking the ship. Um, and, and the point being that your draft is going to sort of dictate what approach you're going to take with Gallo. If you don't have that sort of batting average base, then you're probably looking at a choice between punting the category and taking Gallo or simply going in another direction, which is where I will typically choose to go. Um, You know, in terms of outlook, Steamer thinks there's a little upside in the batting average. And if it's in the 225, 230 range, as opposed to a hair above the Mendoza line, Gallo becomes a significantly better asset. Um, you know, even that sort of 25 to 30 point difference is significant. And I've been on this train with Gallo for a bit that, that I thought that he should be like a 220 hitter um, for the last two years. And now he's settled in right around 200. And that makes me think that 200 is more of the middle ground. Um, and 220 is more of the ceiling. Um, whereas before I was thinking 220 was sort of the middle ground. So what's your take on Gallo? I mean, how do you view him? How, how do you view your strategy in, in which you would take Gallo? Or, or do you think there is a strategy that can work with taking Gallo? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're taking Gallo, like if you've drafted Jose Altuve, Joey Votto, and Daniel Murphy on your team already, then go ahead and choose uh, and draft Joey Gallo. I mean, I think it's it's challenging for me to take players that you really in 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 roto leagues. Like, it's challenging to select players or draft players that you really have to build your team around because it it just limits your flexibility so much. So, I'm probably staying away from him um, for that reason. I agree. I think like um, you know, X stats also likes him to have a higher batting average, like in the two twenties, um, but. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a year where he kind of hits like 250 or something like that and is just incredibly valuable. But I think that's going to be much more like luck. That's not the, where the skill level is at right now. 
And that's not to say, I mean, he's only 25. Like, it's not to say that he can't um, uh, improve on some things, right? Like, he whittled away uh, 1% of, in terms of his K rate last year. Um, I think his contact was also better. Yeah, his contact was up slightly. So, um, yeah, so I think he can definitely improve. But I think if you're banking on anything more than 210 right now, you're kind of, uh, you're kidding yourself, Um a little bit. And I think the reason why steamer and and folks have him higher is just, he's got a really low Babbitt because he hits a ton uh, of fly balls. And so, um, you know, I, I'm assuming that they're expecting around a league average or at least closer to league average Babbitt, which he hasn't shown. Yeah. They're, they're expecting a 277 Babbitt. He's got 250 and 249, you know, in over a thousand plate appearances now. And so, I just think you have to expect that he's going to do really, really bad. So if you have a lot of batting average already, the thing about Votto is he hits enough home runs where, you know, the runs in the RBI are going to be solid. They're going to be like 80 plus probably on both of them. And he actually steals, you know, or he, he did steal um, uh, in 2017 this year. I think he had fewer. Yeah. He only had three this year, but um, steamer projects him to have seven stolen bases. So he's not like a total goose egg there. So he does provide value in other places. I just think it's a matter of team construction. And so um, if you are going to do something where you like try to pull a strategy where you punt batting average or you don't put a big focus on batting average, then I think that that's, um, you know, Gallo's like the exact type of guy that you want to go after. But especially if you're doing like a a league, like in an NFBC or something like that, where there's also an overall prize. He's a guy that I would steer clear of in that format too. Yeah, that's an excellent point, and and I think that's correct. You know, he's that's the sort of thing where you can punt categories across a single league and win it. But if you're trying to win in a bigger prize pool, it, it's just not feasible to to punt and you know pull down a sort of overall title. Um, you know, you just can't do that. So. That's something to keep in mind. And, and Gallo, you know, to your point, when you're talking about Roto and, you know, you know, I'm a head to head guy in head to head, he becomes a little more interesting, especially if it's a daily league yeah. where you can sort of plug him in and plug him out. Um, you know, if he does the damage early in the week and pops a couple of bombs and hasn't killed your batting average for the week, you can plug him out, plug somebody else in, and then you sort of avoid the 0 for force that are to come and he becomes more valuable that way. Um, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow because his price makes you want to play him all the time, but that's probably the best format for him is where you can sort of plug him in, plug him out, play the matchups and, um, you know, take advantage of the good days and try to limit your exposure to the bad days. Yeah. And he's one of those outliers, like we mentioned before in terms of power. So um, in the head to head context, I imagine that it's also super helpful to have, uh, you know, somebody who you can rely on fairly consistently for a good chunk of home runs. I don't play head-to-head leagues, though, so I may be totally off. Uh, well, you know, homers are good, so. <laughs> there you go. All right, speaking of homers, Matt Olson, 108.04 NFBC ADP. Uh, solid, but probably a bit disappointing in 2018. Do you think we can expect How dare a bit you? more from Matt Olson in 2019? <laughs> I'm definitely expecting more. And can you convince yeah. me otherwise? Uh, you, I cannot convince you. No, otherwise, nobody can. Pat, <laughs> I am expecting more from him too. Um, I, I love Olson. Um, you know, I wasn't that into him heading into this year just because I felt like, 
the expectations were just a little tough. And, you know, I always am a little skeptical of guys that show the lack of contact, Um, you know, and he wasn't, I don't think he was horrendous last year, but he was pretty, he was pretty bad. Let's see. Uh, No, he was pretty bad. Yeah. His in zone contact was like 75% over his last 40 games of last year. So he, yeah, he was definitely like really bad, but that's, I think where he made some huge strides this year, especially in the second half. Um, you know, he spent the whole second half of the season above, um, his, uh, career trend line. Uh, he peaked at close to 87% in zone contact. So that's above league average. Now it also went down afterwards. So it's probably around 80% where he's at, but I always do this thing where I look at, um, players who are 40% fly ball, 40% hard hit rate just as like the kind of little markers. They don't mean anything. I haven't done any analysis, but it's just kind of like a marker mm-hmm. for me. And he's a guy who spent this, a lot of the second half uh, kind of at uh, 40% hard hit and 40% fly balls. So he hits a lot of fly balls. He hits a lot of, um, uh, he hits the ball hard. He hits a lot of hard fly balls and he pulls a decent amount of them. If I'm, if my memory is serving yes. me correctly and that increase in contact is huge because it just means that the volume is going to go up. And so for me, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what he can do because um, I'm not going to bet on it. You know, he, he batted 264 in the second half last year and cut his K rate down to 24%, which is definitely not nothing. But if he can continue to make gains there, um, you know, I wouldn't put 270 past him. And I think that there's more, um, I definitely think that there is more, uh, power there. So yeah, so 41.7% fly ball rate in the second half with a 41.4% hard hit rate. So very strong numbers in both of those. Um, yeah, I, I really like, uh, I really like Matt Olson, uh, heading into this year. Um, I think he's going to hit over, uh, 30 home runs. Um, and I think in the A's lineup, he's going to drive in a ton of runs, and I think he's going to score a decent amount of runs because I think that OBP um, is also going to be really nice. So that's kind of how I'm feeling about Matt Olson. So I'm just supporting exactly what you believe. Yeah, and, you know, you took it right out of my notes. I, I think that the batting average upside could be like 275, 270, you know, in his best season because of the gains that he made in terms of contact and the level of authority with which he hits the ball. Um, and, you know, you pair that with a 40-homer type ce- ceiling, it could be a really, really good player. Uh, my personal projection for him at this point is 260 and 35 homers, um, which is nothing okay. to sneeze at either, especially as you mentioned in a, what is a very good lineup. Um, you know, just a couple of interesting notes on Olsen. You know, I, I watched a lot of him last year because I had a lot of shares. And, you know, this is eye test, but I felt like Olsen led the league in warning track fly balls. Um, and I don't know if that statistic exists, but, you know, I, I took a look at his spray chart and over Oakland's um, O.co or, or whatever it is, it, it's, yeah, he had 23 warning track outs. And, you know, that's inexact because not all those flies were in Oakland, obviously, but it just, it exhibits the point that last year's power total was probably more his floor than some sort of middle ground that he arrived at 
because everybody likes to refer back to, oh, well, he hit 24 homers in, you know, 200 plate appearances, whatever the hell it was that first season. And everybody, you know, that was was like the big cry. Oh, well, he's going to regress. Oh, look, he regressed. But that doesn't mean that last year he regressed to, you know, the middle ground of what he actually is. I I think that that is very much um, the floor for Olsen in terms of power output. And he's also, you know, not only in terms of the contact gains and swinging out of the zone less and swinging and missing less, but he's also, he was among the league league leaders um, in called strikes that were actually balls. So I I think there's some regression to come there as well. Now, maybe because he is a big guy, um, you know, he's more prone to that, but still it's another area where we might see um, the luck sort of shift into his direction a little bit and make him a little bit more productive because I think that's all he needs is just, you know, a little bit of luck on, on his contact that he makes a little bit more luck on how umps call the game. And he could just be a complete monster in my opinion. So yeah, I'm in on this price um, as well. I think Olsen is in for a big year this year. Yeah. And I mean, there are some stats to validate what you were saying. Um, he hit 32.4 expected home runs on his 20 nine home runs so that's like three yeah and a half I, I saw that the x stats had him up three or four homers and also 11 points on his batting average so you yeah know, that that sort of validates what we're saying in terms of you know we're 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 looking at him we're we're looking at the hard contact and the authority and then it's translating into um these sort of projection systems and and x stats that indicate yeah your eye test is correct um there yeah. should be more power here there should be more batting average here yeah, I think the only crappy thing is is that Oakland is just a really bad place to hit. I can't remember who somebody was updating their their park factors, and excuse me, um, they said that Oakland was the was the second worst place for home runs overall. It's even worse than San Francisco. That's how it played last year. Um, you know, like park adjusted. So that's that's a bummer uh, that he has to play there. Um, base, baseball perspectives has uh, left-handed batters in Oakland 49th out of 60 um, in terms of park factors based on uh, uh, batter handedness. Mm-hmm. So again, that is, that is a bummer. It limits uh, Olsen a little bit, but I, I agree with you. Like, I think the power is real. I love, really love the skill changes that I, that I've seen from him. Yeah. So. Okay, let's move to Edward Encarnacion, 114.91 NFBC ADP. The trade Seattle is obviously a negative, but we don't know that he's going to stay there. So do you prefer him or Nelson Cruz? Um, he's UT only, 126.14 NFBC ADP. Um, we're going to put him here, obviously, even though he's only a uh, utility. Um, Landed in Minnesota, what do you think of that fit? And straight up, who do you prefer, Cruz or Encarnacion? Yeah, straight up, I prefer uh, uh, Nelly. I prefer Nelson Cruz. Um, I just think that he, um, you know, I think he's probably got more power at this point in his career. He's got a better batting average, at least a better profile um, for a batting average. I think that, um, you know, Minnesota isn't like the best place he could have landed, but he's going to get every day at bats. And they're not a terrible lineup. They actually have some guys, I think, that could make – 
um, a lot of progress. Um, you know, it depends on how they, how they organize the lineup, but, um, you know, Max Kepler is kind of a favorite of mine heading into next year. A guy. Yeah. Who, I like Kepler um, too. It's just, I, I'm just worried that I'm just going to, I'm getting to the point now where it's like, am I, am I chasing after a ghost, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, this isn't a, a, a podcast about Max Kepler, uh, but I mean, he had just an insane combo of contact and, and plate discipline. And if it weren't for a really, really bad Babbitt, which he mostly deserved, yeah, that's the problem. But it's all a launch angle thing. It's too many fly yeah. balls. So, so for instance, like right now, roster resource, again, this is roster resource. It's super early in the season. They have Jorge Polanco, who I really like. I really like Jorge Polanco heading into next year. He made some really good progress. They have Eddie Rosario ahead of Cruz and CJ Crone. Uh, um, I would, I think CJ Crone's more of the fifth hitter. You put Kepler up there. Um, he could be a 350 OBP guy. Um, uh, he was even, I think, like 320 this year, despite hitting like 220. Um, so I think there's, um, you know, anyways, I, I like Nelly. I think he's a better hitter at this point in his career. The one thing I'll say is I think that the, um, I've heard a lot of people mention that Encarnacion is, has been struggling with contact, that he's been making less contact. And I really don't see the numbers bearing that out. I mean, when you take a look at his Z contact on fan graphs, it's up 1% from last year. His overall contact down 0.6, but again, he's missing more on pitches uh, outside the zone as opposed to inside the zone, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because he's probably not making contact. He has slipped in plate discipline. He's at 29%, so still better than league average, but not like the 23% that he was at the two previous years. So there's definitely some slippage, but highest hard hit rate, his hard hit fly ball rate, his hard hit pulled fly ball rate, um, all of those metrics are pretty much um, in line with where they've been in previous years. So I definitely think that talk of him, um, talk of him not being, um, not being a good player anymore. I think we're, we're not there yet. I mean, it could happen quickly, but I don't see any signs so far similar to Nelly that that's the case. It's obviously a major bummer that he moves from having Lindor Brantley and Ramirez in front of him um, to, you know, what the Mariners are putting out there, which is Malik Smith, Mitch Hanniger, and Jay Bruce. Um, you know, that's obviously uh, he's going down there. So I think that's going to impact his RBI and some of his run scoring. But um, I think, I think uh, E5 is still relatively solid, maybe not a profile that I'm uh, craving right here still, um, you know, cause there are guys like Cruz who are still, uh, left on the board, but you know, I don't think he, I, I think his demise is, is, has not started to happen yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little you? more concerned with Encarnacion and the potential decline than you. I mean, and you make valid points about the sort of contact profile that he has, but the swing strike rate is up. The K rate is up and you know, it, his is a profile where the the BABIPs are always poor. So if the K rate starts to swing in the wrong direction, he's not going from like a 280 to a 260 or a 250. He's going from a 260 or a 250 down to like a 230. Um, and yeah. when he starts to get down to 230 and he's like a 30 home run bat, the 
it, it, it becomes a situation where if he's not really an elite, elite power guy, um, you know, upper 30s in terms of bombs, uh, it becomes really hard to carry that 230. Um, you know, and that's really my primary concern with Encarnacion. And I think that, I think it's borne out in the price. Like, I don't think the price is bad. Um, I, I think that's certainly baked in that risk element. Um, but with Cruz, I, I don't understand it at all. I mean, the the fact is, is that I'm mean, really, honestly and truly, it, it seems to me that Cruz had just had a bad Babbitt here. Um, now, some of it was uh, infield hit percentage went like completely down, almost zero. I think it was like 1% or whatever. And, you know, he's not going to be busting him down the line at, you know, 38 or whatever it is his age is. And you don't want him to either because, I mean, this is a guy with a history of soft tissue injuries um, going back some time. But, you know, you don't want want him busting down the line and and pulling a hamstring and then he's out for a month and a half. Um, He's too valuable with his bat. So you can live with the fact that maybe the bat isn't going to be as good. Uh, But even if you you account for that, he still probably deserved better. He still probably should have been like a 270 guy. Um, and I think Cruz's power, um, you know, ceiling and middle ground is probably higher than Encarnacion's at this point. So I definitely would rather have Cruz. Um, and I think Cruz's situation is better right now. I don't believe that Encarnacion's going to play for the Mariners this year. I think they're going to find a way to move yeah. him. Um, so I don't think we know much about what Encarnacion's team context is going to be. Um, but overall, I think Encarnacion's price is probably fair. I think Cruz's price is probably um, – inexpensive and and uh, and i'm buying him at that level and i'm not at all concerned about this utility nonsense um never have been never will be i was when david when people were like don't draft david ortiz because he's utility only i was just raking in those shares so um yeah give me all the shares of nelson cruz i can deal with the fact that he's util only definitely yeah, and I, I mean, I think the challenge with taking Encarnacion where he is right now, he's all the way up to 117 now. And so he's up against, you know, some pretty decent players, right? Like going right after him, Will Myers, A.J. Pollock, Aaron Hicks, Michael Brantley, Nelson Cruz, Robinson Cano, Yasiel Puig, Ahmed Rosario, so, like, those are all guys that I would want more than Edward, Edwin Car- Encarnacion because of the profile. Um, and so it's just he's in kind of like a tough place. I think that that profile that he has just isn't as valuable as, as it once was. But I do think that, like, the skills have not changed that dramatically. But I totally think you're spot on with, like, the analysis that there's not much he can give in the batting average without becoming a major suck there. So, yeah. And I think he's the first base option you settle on, you know, and, I, and that's born out yeah. just based upon where he's going. He's the guy that when, you know, you're staring at a hole at first base at this point in the draft, he's the guy you're targeting because um, the bottom drops out. Yeah. Or what you do is realize that the last two years, he has been absolute garbage the first month of the season and just wait until then and then trade for him in May when he turns into an awesome Yeah, player. but we thought we all so. thought that about Brian Dozier last year and that didn't work out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Painful memories. Um, 
Okay, yes. so uh, Jerickson Profar is actually next. Um, he actually fits in between Encarnacion and Cruz. We're not going to cover him here. We're going to cover him when we talk about one of the middle infield positions. So we'll move it to Ian Desmond, uh, 144 NFBC ADP. A mixed bag season from Desmond. Playing time um, is uncertain again to a level. What do you do with the player that's got both performance and playing time risk? Yeah, I mean, I think with Desmond, he's just a guy where he's going right now that I can't invest in. I mean, I think there's there's obviously the well-documented problems with his his very high ground ball rate, over 60% in the last two years. He had a ridiculous 25% home run per fly ball rate last year, which was which was very unsustainable. So just from a production perspective, um, he can obvi- he obviously still has speed, and that's valuable, but where he's going right now, um, I just think there's too much question marks about too much too much of a question mark about the skills, um, uh, in addition to the playing time concerns. I mean, Daniel Murphy, from everything we've heard, is going to play primarily first base. That boots Desmond out. Um, they obviously have Garrett Hampson at second base that I think they want to give a look to, or hopefully they want to give a look to because he's a really exciting prospect. So I, I'm not interested. He in steals bases going right now for the reasons you said. Well, normally I'm on the he steals bases train, and I think there's value there, and maybe he finds himself into it, but I generally am drafting guys who don't have a direct uh, road to playing time, uh, who have excellent skills, and (laughs) I have a hard time saying that Desmond has. No, 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 I was talking about Hampson. Oh, Hampson. Hampson. Oh, stolen bases are true. Great. (laughs) Hampson's got, Hampson's really exciting. I mean, I haven't dove in, and I'm not a prospect expert, but the dude has a real has seems to have really good play discipline and contact skills, which combine that with stolen bases. Yeah, and and in cores, um, you know that yeah. that sort of skill set works well. Yeah, I've got a couple of dynasties here, so I'm Hampson, but but oh, the conversation, nice. you know, with with Desmond is listen. It was a really weird year. I mean, he posted the worst one of one of if not the worst Babbitt of his career um, in the best Babbitt ballpark in baseball. Um, and he managed to post a really, really high home to fly ball rate. Um, despite the fact, and, and you know, post 20 plus homers, despite the fact that his ground ball, he hit three ground balls for every fly ball. So, <laughs> he wasn't hitting the ball in the air, but when he put the ball in the air, he was able to hit the mat. When he, when he put the ball in play in cores, it didn't go for a hit. So you can see sort of a wide variance of outcomes for Desmond and a lot of different ways that he can regress both, both positively and negatively. Um, I'm just, I'm with you. I, I don't really have much interest in, um, you know, sort of playing the whack-a-mole game with Desmond and trying to figure out, you know, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Um, you know, if he gets off to a slow start, is he going to be reduced to utility guy? Uh, is the power going to stay and the BABIP going to come back? It, it's it's too all over the map for me, um, you know. And, and I know people love cores and love to chase cores, but this is not the guy or the profile in which I want to chase it. I'd much rather chase it with somebody like Hampson, who I at least know can put the ball in play, and and has something of a safe floor, provided the Rockies actually play him. Um, whereas Desmond's floor is uh not pretty from a production perspective um you know if uh the babbitt struggles stay and uh he's 
homer to fly ball rate doesn't stay at a, at a career high. Uh, you know, suddenly he's a 10, 20, 240 hitter um, hitting at the back of a lineup. Uh, I'm not looking for that type of profile, even at pick 144. Agreed. All right. Uh, Miggy, uh, Miguel Cabrera, 153.9. Um, I can take this one first. He had a wasted year due to injury, um, but I really want to focus less on the injury risk because I, I just don't believe that we know as much about injury as we like to let on as we do. Um, and more talk about what Miguel Cabrera looks like in 2019 with, you know, 140 games, because we can, we can acknowledge the fact that even if he is fully healthy for the year, he's going to get time off. Um, so, I mean, I think 140 games to Miguel Cabrera looks like a 300 hitter uh, with 20 to 25 homers. Um, sort of a poor man's Daniel Murphy, given the team context. Or maybe Robinson Cano is another one. And, and it's, a, it's a really good player. Um, and I think there's upside beyond that on the power side. Uh, but the fact that he couldn't generate lift last year is troubling. Um, if Cabrera gets back to putting the ball in the air, he could be, you know, um, dare I say, a potential league-winning player. Um, basically, Jose Abreu at pick 150. Um, but will he? I don't know. That Therein lies the rub, right? Cabrera presents not only injury risk, but production risk. He could be Eric Hosmer with after 10 steals. Um the answer turns on whether last year is an injury issue that he's been able to correct and, or is able to manage better, or if it's an injury issue that has caused a a seismic approach change, that's not going to go away. Um, Given the back issues, their ability to recur. um, I I think that the market believes that Miggy is now closer to Joe Maurer than peak Miguel Cabrera. And I can't fault them for that. Um, You know, but from my point of view, it's become a common theme for me. I really don't believe that we know as much about injury as, as we think we do. So I'm willing to take the shot here. Um, you know, especially given the fact that batting average is such a scarce commodity. Uh, and I do think that that's the one thing that you can definitely count on Miguel Cabrera for when he's healthy. Um, so I'm willing to take the shot here. How about you? Yeah, I think we may have our first major disagreement. Okay. Pat. Um, I'm totally out on uh, Cabrera. Um, I think, you know, last year he had 157 plate appearances. You know, you asked in 140 games, what would he produce? If you multiply that by four, you get 12 home runs, 68 runs, 88 RBI, and a 299 average, which sounds about right to me. Um, the ground ball percent was way up, and obviously that may have been related to the injury. His barrel rate was also way down at 3.2%. But it's not like this is something necessarily new for Miggy. I mean, it, the last time he hit for any power was in 2016. Um, in 2017, he only hit 16 home runs despite having 529 plate appearances. And I was a big believer in Miggy this year because the underlying skills looked really good. But when you look at his um, the spray chart of his batted balls number one he's playing in um in uh is it still called comerica i think so Tiger i think Park? it is yeah comerica uh comerica is one of the worst home run 
parks for people who hit the ball to center field in particular. Um, it's just super, super deep. Um, and he hits the ball to center. That's where his power is to center. Um, it's to the opposite field. He no longer pulls um, fly balls. And that is the hardest ways to hit home runs. Um, and, and so I really don't see him returning uh, to any type of semblance of the hitter that he was before outside of maybe, maybe batting average. You know, he's shown a batting average in every year but um, 2016. And so it's very possible that, um, that, that he could still hit for good batting average. But I just really don't like what I saw last year. I don't like the fact that it's his back. And then, um, yeah, so in 2017, um, let me just pull up his, his – uh, so I like to look at hard hit pulled fly yeah. ball rate just because – you know, uh, league average home run per fly ball for hard hit pulled fly balls is like 63%. In 2017, um, he had a 10.9% hard hit pulled fly ball rate. 58.2% of his hard hit fly balls were to center and 30.9% were to the opposite field. So he really just can't, he doesn't have the ability to turn around those pitches anymore. The last time he had He's only had 20% or higher on that stat one time since 2014. And so I think that is where I, I just, I just don't think he's got it anymore. And, and I'll, I may look really, really foolish. I may be Javi Baez because he ends up having a great season and I thought he was going to be not very good, but um, I just can't see it. Well, no, I, I think that, well, I, I think that if you end up looking foolish, much like with Javi Baez, because I was one of those people as well, uh, the majority of people are going to look foolish because I think the majority of people view Miggy as um, more of a lottery ticket at this point than any sort of sure bet to bounce back. And even as somebody that's willing to take the shot, I don't feel super confident that He's going to return to form. I, I just think that I, I'm just, I, I guess maybe my take is, is that I'm less convinced than the rest of the market is because I think a lot of what the market is basing its opinion on is the fact that he suffered these injuries and it sapped him of the ability to, to hit for, power and average and to play in a high volume of games. And I'm just not convinced that that's the case yet, or not as convinced as the rest of the market is, Um, you know, and I I think that your take is probably um, the majority take. So I don't think you're going to be alone on that bandwagon. If Mickey, Mickey, if Mickey, um, you know, returns to form and, you know, hits for significant power and is, uh, you know, some semblance of the Mickey of old. Uh, or some, you know, significant fraction of the media of old, because that's all it would take for him to return value at this at this cost. Okay, we're halfway through, and we're an hour and forty minutes into this show, so uh, dudes like yeah, to talk, you know. It, uh, all right, so let's talk about Eric Hosmer, one sixty four point three two, a poor first year in San Diego, and inconsistency has pushed Hosmer down the board. Are you willing to buy in on draft day? Or do you have to see the adjustments first? 
Um, I'm just not, I'm not really interested in Hosmer. I really want to be interested in him because he's going so low in draft. Yeah, this is the first year I've just ever so... been like, oh my God, the price is finally where I've wanted it to be his entire career. <laughs> totally. But it's hard for me to see a ton of upside. Like the only place where I can really see upside is in the batting average. You know, he has hit 300 before. And so I could see that potentially happening, but he also had, um, you know, a pretty big dip in his contact rate last year. And, you know, maybe it was first year jitters or whatnot, but um, I mean, it was pretty significant. And so if, um, if, if I'm going to like, a guy's got to like, give me something right. Where I can be like, okay, if, everything goes right, you know, then he's going to hit, you know, uh, 35 home runs and, you know, or hit 300 something. And maybe it's that he can recreate 2017. I mean, maybe that's possible, but you know, the skills, both the chase rate and the, um, contact were down significantly. Uh, the Padres lineup, um, is not that great yet. Um, and, you know, you're betting on so many things like that. He no longer, that he doesn't have a super low fly ball rate that he, um, you know, gains back those skills that he struggled with last year. And so, um, you know, even though he, his, his pattern of production kind of works at least batting average wise, good year, bad year, good year, bad year, good year. I'm, I'm not willing, I think yet to take that risk on him yet. Unfortunately, how about you? Yeah, I, I I think I echo you. You know, I like I said, this is the first year I really turned around and said, all right, well, the price isn't so bad, but I, I really feel like I'm buying into it, it, I'm buying into something where it's really dependent on whether or not his balls in play um, go the way that you want them to go. Um, and I, and I do not like buying assets like that. And while I believe that the strikeout rate um, surge is tied to pressing uh, an attempt to justify the contract, et cetera, um, and I expect it to come back down, if that K rate sticks around and the balls in play don't go his way, uh, you know, suddenly he's a 15 homer, 240 bat that might chip in the seven or eight steals that we really like so much, but it's just, it becomes an asset. That's just a complete um, drain in my view and, and and leaves you really, um, you know, wanting more across the board. Uh, And there's not really a basis to believe that there's more coming other than, you know, his, his Babbitt is above league average in a given year. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there's going to be the power in that park. Um, the last time a left-handed hitter, uh, hit, uh, I forget what the stat is. We did it last year, but I want to say the last time uh, a left-handed hitter hit 30 home runs in San Diego was Adrian Gonzalez. So, mm. you know, it's, it's not a common feat and, and Hosmer's not a guy that needs to hit 30 to find his way to value. You know, he can hit 25 and hit 280 and there you go but it's just it's it's not a good combination of ballpark um and and skill set the three to one ground ball to fly ball rate is very concerning um i want to be in at this price but i just i struggle to and there are guys 
that are going further down behind him that I that I like the same or or better. Um, so you know, I take a pass even at this level. Yeah, yeah, and according to X stats, thirty seven point nine percent of his batted balls were dribblers, which is like really bad ground balls right into the dirt. And the league average is 24.6. So 13, 13% higher than league average, just hitting the ball straight into the dirt. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, that's like 40% of 60% of his, of his like batted balls. It's just, it's, it's not good. Yeah. Like he, like if somebody needs a swing change, it's him. And that's not the first time somebody has said it, but uh, it really is the truth at this point. It's, it's go San Diego is going to find itself in a lot of trouble with that contract. Um, yeah. What, what were they thinking? I, I have no idea. And, and not only that, but they displaced Will Myers who can't stay healthy anywhere, but first base. <laughs> so that, that, it's beyond me. Like nobody in baseball thought that was a good contract except no. for them. They have no competition either. It's just, yep. whoa. Hashtag grit. <laughs> He's a winner. Uh, yeah, team, winner. team leader. Winner. You need him in yep. the dugout. All right, Jose Martinez, 17th, 169.65, has outfield eligibility. We all want to free Jose Martinez. The acquisition of Goldschmidt creates a situation where there's not really a path to full-time at-bats. But let's take out the playing time uncertainty with full-time at-bats. How high are you on Jose Martinez? Yeah, I liked uh, Martinez a, a ton heading into this year just because the ADP was around 230, I think, last year. And I still like him, but not quite as much. Um, he's He hasn't been in the majors very long, but he is 30. So he's already kind of at prime, if you will. I don't think I don't know if we're going to see any tremendous growth from him. And he's got a nice combination of plate discipline and contact skills, but they did fade over the course of the year. So it was his first full year in the majors, but both his, con- his plate discipline and his contact skills decreased from being, you know, borderline elite, at least with his contact, um, down to just about league average as the season wore on. So that's a little bit of a concern to me. Um, and he also has issues elevating the ball. I actually think a good comp for uh, Martinez is Miggy. Uh, except I would argue that Martinez um, would gain a lot more from uh, re- from hitting more fly balls. You know, he hits a a lot of ground balls, and when he hits the ball in the air, it's good news. Six point nine percent barrels per plate appearance, forty five to fifty percent hard hit fly ball percentage. The last two years, um, he crushes it when he hits the ball in the air, but it just happens very, very uh, irregularly. And so he's a guy who. You know, we talked about it with Hosmer, but he could also use a little bit of a of a swing change um, and and elevating the ball a little bit more often. And so what I would say is I have enough concerns with the diminishing contact and plate discipline uh, that if he isn't traded before March, then I'm probably not going to go after him at his current price. Um you know, because I think I can wait a little while and get somebody like a Yuli Gurriel, who we'll talk about in a bit, who's going about, you know, 40, 50 picks later um, and is, is an average stud just like Jose Martinez is um, and has more of a plat path to playing time, uh, I think. And then look at some of the other players going around 
where where Jose Martinez is going. So it's it's a little sad for me, um, but because I really loved Jose Martinez heading the next year, and I think he was he was really great for where you got him. But uh, I did see a little bit of a decrease in in skill, and and I'm not sure I see that playing time with the Cardinals. And so I'd love for him to get traded to the Rays, like everybody's talking about. But if that doesn't happen before drafts, I'm going to have a hard time going after him unfortunately yeah i i think if the if the situation doesn't change i i can't imagine drafting him at this price because there's just he's he's so bad defensively that you've got to stick him in a corner or first base you're obviously not going to displace goldschmidt um and that outfield is crowded um so i, I just can't foresee a way that he has the volume in st louis and I mean, there was a report today that they're, you know, not going to just give him away. Um, that you know, they're expecting a return. So, you know, that could just be noise. Um, but it, to, to me, I, I agree with what you said. You know, it's a it's an intriguing profile because you've you've got such a strong batting average base. Um, you know, he hit three hundred five last year, and you can see the seeds there for a scenario where the power could turn from, you know, 17 homers to like 25 with, with just a little tweak. I mean, this isn't, you you mentioned that he needs a tweak like Hosmer. Hosmer really needs an overhaul. Uh, Martinez is probably like a tweak away um, because the fly ball line, the fly ball line drive velocity is there. Um, The 95 mile power hit percentage is there. The hard contact is there. Um, you know, you mentioned the hard hit pulled fly balls. It, 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 there's enough seeds there. And, and he does a smattering of these things enough that it's not a full-blown rebuild of the swing that is necessary for him to, um, you know, tap into that. You know, he could very easily go from 305, 17 homers to like uh, 290 uh low to mid twenties power. And, and that's really where you would like him to be. Um, so I, I could, I, I definitely think that I'd be more on board with him if he was traded to say Tampa Bay at this price. But I suspect if he gets traded, um, he's going to, there's going to be some helium and he might price himself out, you know, with that helium. Um, because I definitely think this 169 is baking in some of the uncertainty regarding his playing time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. One thing that he does have going for him is, is he does have first base and outfield eligibility, I think. So that's at least one positive. Yeah. Yeah. He does get the playing time. He's got that utility and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I see a path to more than 350 plate appearances, if there's no, significant injury um and you know the significant injury would have to be the goldschmidt or um ozuna one of their outfield one of their outfielders but they have like tyler yeah they've got tyler o'neill who i imagine they're gonna want to see at some point i mean bader's a gem in center um ozuna's ozuna had sort of a down year last year but they seem to think a lot of that was injury um so, and I, I know he showed big time in the second half. So, you know, it's, it's that Fowler, O'Neill, Martinez, Triumvirate 
and you know maybe he gets some playing time there. But even there, it's there's three guys from one spot. So you yeah. know, I just it's a bummer. I just don't see it. I agree with you. Free Jose Martinez. Okay, Luke Voigt, 18th, 201.09. Voigt had a league-winning stretch to close the year. But, you know, the rumor mill doesn't look great for the playing time here. Looking at the skills, you know, in terms of part-timers or guys with playing time questions, you know, I was was originally going to say I'd rather have Jose Martinez over Voigt. But, you know, I, I just... I, I I I don't know that that's the case if they're both on the same playing time um, level. You know, if, if Luke Voigt was getting full-time at-bats and Jose Martinez was getting full-time at-bats, I think I might choose Voigt at this point um, because I, I just think that a lot of what Voigt did last year isn't – I mean, obviously it's an unsustainable pace, but – there's a lot of good stuff in what he did last year. He would be very interesting as the Yankees starting first baseman. Um, the fantastic stretch run was on the strength of a 40% homer to fly ball rate. Obviously unsustainable. Um, but he hits the ball hard, 47%. Um, that slots in behind um, the love of our lives, Matt Olson, uh, with <laughs> good distribution, which explains why a former catcher is able to post plus BABIPs. Um, throughout most of the stops in his minor league and major league career. Um, He's also a player that's built for Yankee Stadium. Despite being right-handed, he hits the ball with significant power in the air, 54% hard contact, but usually to the opposite field. So he's able to take advantage of the short ports despite being a right-handed hitter. Um, Now, how well he'd play over a full season, we don't know. And while this pace is unsustainable, X-Stats only takes off a couple of homers. Um, off of his total from last year, which seems to indicate that, you know, he earned a lot of what he did. So maybe that pace wasn't real, but with full-time playing time, uh, Voight could be a 30-homer bat in Yankee Stadium. Now on the downside, there's a hefty swing strike rate. Um, there's contact issues. Um, I suspect there's some average downside, but again, he has that plus Babbitt sort of batted ball distribution profile and that creates something of a safe floor to, to help manage those contact issues. So I'm not convinced that he's going to become, or, or, or that if he did get the full-time playing time, that he would become, you know, a, a total zero. Um, I think he's got the potential. I just don't think the playing time is going to be there. So if I was forced to pick today, I would take Jose Martinez because I've got more faith that Martinez gets traded then the Yankees do nothing and Voight ends up with a full-time role. But if I knew both were getting full-time playing time, I might take Voight because I think in Yankee Stadium, there's significant potential there. Yeah, you know, I, I may we – have, we have our show notes. I may go against what I wrote there. I don't know. I'm interested in Luke Voigt because as I dug in, I was just really impressed. This is the same thing that happened to me. (laughs) Pretty much everything I saw. So it's like, at first I was like, oh, there's contact issues. Then I took a look at his 20 game rolling average just because he doesn't have as many plate appearances. You know, and he's around 80% and that's where his career mark is at. And 80% for a guy with the power that he has is not terrible in zone. Um, you see that his uh, O swing is also right around league average, which is fine. And it's actually 
towards the end of the year was improving. His hard hit rate is off the charts, 50% over those last 20 games and uh, over 40%, um, probably like 45-ish percent uh, for his career. Um, You look at the ground ball rate is also super low. So all of the ingredients that you would see in a power hitter, you're seeing with him. And I mean, I've heard different things in the rumor mill, but I really haven't heard any concrete Rumors like, you know, there was the rumors that Carlos Santana was going to go to the Yankees and that never happened. So I just wonder, like, maybe the Yankees see this too. And maybe unless there's some sort of opportunity to, right, they could have gone gone after Goldschmidt. Unless there's like a really big opportunity, they want to give Voight a shot because, man, the padded ball quality is is insane. I mean, like, um, 